All right. Welcome back to the Sports Med Analytics Podcast. I am Deepak Chona. Thank you for joining. We have tons to talk about because it is almost football season. If you couldn't tell, I love this time of year. So if we're going to hit all of your frequently asked questions, thank you for sending those in via Twitter at SportMD Analysis. But we're first going to talk injury analytics-based draft strategy. How do you use what SportsMed Analytics does to win your leagues? It's actually quite simple. Follow the numbers. Round one is where we'll start. And round one is, of course, your best chance to get an elite stud performer. But the key to winning your league in a season-long format is getting a performer who's going to be on the field the whole season. And no, you can't totally predict injury, but you can put the odds in your favor. We go wide receivers over running backs preferentially in round one. And the reason being, wide receivers are 15 to 20% less likely to miss games. And so in round one, our top picks are going to be Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, no surprises there. But then we're taking Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs over any top running backs. Now, when we get to the Cooper Cup tier of receiver, we want to throw a little bit of caution out there. The reason is Cooper Cup had that hamstring issue. He's 30 years old, and that hamstring does have about a 15% recurrence rate as a result for the season. But really more concerning than that hamstring itself is that Cooper Cup is tied to Matthew Stafford. And Matthew Stafford is a non-mobile pocket-based QB. And we saw that Rams O-line really, really struggle last year. Of course, there were some injuries. They look like they've bolstered it, but it's hard to say what that's going to look like for sure. And in round one, again, we're trying to pick players who are going to be consistent performers. So we have hesitation about tying our round one pick to Matthew Stafford, who, if the Rams O-line does not project as a strong unit, is likely to take a lot of hits, therefore carries a high durability risk. And that's not really an opinion that's more a data-driven projection than anything else. We like Cooper Cup, the player, who wouldn't, but you have to have that concern when you, when you think about drafting him. A couple other guys in round one who you may have some concerns about, age-related concerns primarily on Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry, 28-29 running back, such a physical game. Of course, Derrick Henry has been no, has shown no signs of slowing down. Austin Eckler, mostly the same. But again, we are just playing the numbers here. So in that case, we're going to probably avoid going Eckler or Derrick Henry. And then Travis Kelsey, the alien of all aliens, at age 33, putting up elite, elite numbers. We don't really know what to do with Travis Kelsey there. But again, round one, it's about the risk profile of the player and building your team around a guy who you think is going to be on the field consistently. Therefore, we're going to pass on Travis Kelsey in round one. So then we do not. It's not that we don't value running backs. We do. But we want to be careful about the running backs we select. And specifically, what we mean by that is that running backs who catch passes are safer to bet on than running backs who primarily rush the ball for their, their touches. And so guys like Bijan, Saquon, CMC, Tony Pollard, those are the elite running backs, the top tier running backs that we want to prioritize. And that's over guys like Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. Now, 
We look at a guy like Nick Chubb as somewhere in between. He hasn't had much receiving role, but really all the reports are that he projects to have more of a receiving role this coming year. And of all the running backs we mentioned in that tier one grouping, Bijan Robinson has the lowest injury risk. CMC has had a number of soft tissue injuries, no major surgical issues, but a number of soft tissue injuries that does elevate his risk somewhat. He is also a little on the higher side for age for a running back. Barkley, of course, had his ACL. His pre previous history of high ankle sprain doesn't really bother us, but the ACL does confer a little bit of extra risk. And then Tony Pollard, we do project him off of his fresh ankle fracture to be at 100%. Running back data looks like six months onwards. There's not really a dip there. Uh, Tony Pollard will now be at eight, eight months. So we don't really have a reason to suspect that Tony Pollard is a high-risk player, but we would call that a very slightly increased risk compared to Bijan Robinson, who doesn't really have any significant history of lower body injury, even in college. Next key point to consider is the quarterback. Now, there's a lot of elite quarterbacks, but we're going to stay away from the high-priced quarterbacks who primarily stay in the pocket. The running quarterbacks offer an elite upside that's simply unmatched by their pocket peers. And if you look back in the performance metrics, year after year, we see that the rushing quarterbacks, and especially as the league has shifted more towards a running quarterback style, that they are the top performers in fantasy football. There was a Lamar Jackson a few years ago, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. These are really going to give you the elite upside. But the key to keep in mind, for us, we're going to probably take two quarterbacks. The reason being that the rushing also leads to higher injury risk. And if you look at just last year, six out of the top seven rushing leaders for quarterbacks all got injured. That's a problem. So the guys that we like, of course, you could go for a Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. That's going to be probably around two price tag in most leagues. We like Lamar Jackson better in the third or fourth round. But my favorite value of this draft for quarterback is going to be Justin Fields. Now, remember, he had some huge games last year explosive, explosive runs, and we, we all remember the highlights. Now they've added DJ Moore. They've bolstered his offense. He has competent, if not solid, running backs behind him. And then if you look at Justin Fields towards the end of last year, he did have a little bit of a taper off in some of his point production, but that's when he was playing through injury. So again, Justin Fields is going to be our QB1 in, in the ideal sense if we can get him in round five. And then later on in drafts, if we're taking fields in five, we're going to target Daniel Jones, and he's going around somewhere in that nine to, nine to 11 round. And we'd even be comfortable reaching for him at that point because his upside is so high. He is one of the few late-round quarterbacks who you know is going to run the ball. That offense behind Brian Dable's genius has also shown its results both in Buffalo and now in New York. So there's a, a lot of reason to believe in Daniel Jones, at least as a fantasy performer. So he's going to be our backup because, again, that rushing QB upside is there, but so is the injury risk. And then we look at guys who we can get a real discount on. And that's where the SMA data is key. So we look at post-injury sleepers, 
as the guys were targeting mid to late rounds. And running back, as you know from our previous comments, is going to be one of the positions that we're wanting to invest fewer of our high, high draft capital in. So we're going to really be targeting those previously injured running backs who project to bounce back here. And first off on that list is J.K. Dobbins, one of our main post-injury sleepers for the year. He had a huge multi-ligament knee surgery coming off of that the previous year, and then he missed some time because he had some residual stiffness in the knee, elected to have another surgery. His performance for the first really three quarters of the year was up and down, and he was absent a lot. And if you look at it, he also had limited snap counts and limited touches, and it really all probably comes back down to that stiffness that he had post the huge surgery and injury. But that was all expected to some degree because the data was already telling us that J.K. Dobbins is not likely to have his big career year. However, at this point, it's pretty rare to need a third operation on this type of surgery once you've shown that you can come back. And J.K. Dobbins, to finish out last year, in the last five games, averaged 100 yards per game, 6.5 yards per carry. And that's with Lamar Jackson hurt for most of that. So we have a lot of optimism about the Ravens' offense in general, but J.K. Dobbins, if we can get him in round five, very comfortable inserting him into our, uh, into our RB2 position. And right now, he's actually going in round six, according to Fantasy Pro's ADP. And then the other guy who we really like, mid to late round running back, round eight, Isaiah Pacheco. Now, hugely productive offense, obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire hasn't really shown that he can do too much and he's not a huge threat. Pacheco looked pretty good last year and he was ramping up throughout the course of the year. And then he's been out, so as a result, his ADP has fallen. And the good thing about that, though, is that he had a shoulder labrum surgery repaired. And running backs coming off of that surgery don't tend to have much of a performance dip. We're, we're today we are August 23rd. And this is around the time Isaiah Pacheco should be coming back, at least within the next week or two, before week one, almost certainly. And again, running backs come right back to their pre-injury level of performance. And Pacheco was increasingly useful for a Chiefs team that obviously went on to win the Super Bowl. So he was playing high leverage moments as a rookie. Only expect that role to grow. So again, Isaiah Pacheco, big time target for us. Now, if you take this strategy into consideration, here's what a potential team, a realistic build could look like according to the Fantasy Pros ADP. So at quarterback, we took in the fifth round, Justin Fields. Get that upside, but on our bench, in the 11th round, we get Daniel Jones there too. Feel really good about that quarterback room. And then at running back, again, we didn't want to invest our first two picks in the running back position, so we took Travis Etienne in the third, a guy who's going to catch passes. He's shown that ability. He's explosive. If you look at him, he's a little bit of a post-injury sleeper as well. The first four games for a running back off of a major surgery tend to be a ramp-up period in terms of their touches. And so if you exclude the first four games of last year for Travis Etienne, he was 100 yards per game the rest of the way. So we feel very good about him as our RB1, and we can get him in the third round, according to Fantasy Pros. And then, again, we have J.K. Dobbins, which we took at the sixth. 
not a whole lot more to say about him other than that we feel pretty good and we do love the talent. This could really be the year for J.K. Dobbins. And then for wide receiver, we took Tyree Kill in the first round. Hard to go wrong there. Amon Ross St. Brown in the second. Again, you could take a Garrett Wilson, a Chris Olave, a lot of these young stud receivers who showed a clear ability and role last year who now are in uh, projection to, to really excel. Those are the types of players that do historically statistically tend to exceed their uh, expectations as we go in th through their careers. And again, the wide receiver position is highly worth investing in uh, early on because of its security. Now, seventh round, we took Kyle Pitts. We do think that in most drafts, somebody is probably going to reach for him before there. But that's where we ended up landing him, according to the current ADPs. And then in our flex spot, fourth rounder, Calvin Ridley. So you got to like his upside, and that's really what you're looking for there is you don't really care about the guy who could be a serviceable starter the whole way, really more so looking for that guy who could knock the doors off of it and be that wide receiver one. And then we have, of course, Isaiah Pacheco, who landed on our bench. All right, so we really like our build. We are going in with this strategy. It's something we've been refining over the past couple of years and been consistently winning with. So think it's worth a shot and then now we will go into some of the questions that y'all have been sending us again we're on twitter at sport md analysis you can also hit us up on instagram at SportsMed analytics we're on youtube and tiktok as well and uh you can find this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts again keep sending in those questions twitter's the easiest way to do that now first player who got injured earlier this week Terry McLaurin, he's got a turf toe. It sounds pretty mild from what they're talking about. The average on these is three to four weeks. You do generally see a player like him able to play week one, uh, given the amount of time he's, he's going to have to rest it. However, there is usually a performance dip for those first two weeks for McLaurin. Until about week three, he does project to be a little bit affected from that turf toe. The reason being that it's involved in pushing off and therefore projects to hurt him in his explosiveness early on. Now, Joe Burrow, as a dynasty owner of Joe Burrow, I have been carefully watching the headlines. I've been seeing all sorts of up and down projections on whether Joe Burrow is going to be available week one. But importantly, if you review everything, the, the, the clear objective indicators strongly, strongly point towards Joe Burrow having a grade one strain. If we look back to the timeline from when he got injured and went into a boot and then was off the boot, off of crutches, that timeline very strongly indicates that it was probably a grade one injury. It all happened in less than a week. And that alone tells me that they're probably just playing it very safe with Joe Burrow. You give him, since it was a grade one injury, but it was in the preseason, you treat it like you would a grade two during the regular season. So you give him the two to four weeks and you don't really sweat it. You know he's going to have a low injury, re-injury risk when he gets back. And for a quarterback, that also helps his position. We're not expecting him to be a wide receiver or a running back who's going to be running every play. So Joe Burrow, we feel pretty good about his chances to play week one. And now next up that you've been asking us about is the Jets running back, Brees Hall. Of course, signing Dalvin Cook doesn't sound 
ideal for Brees Hall owners, but we weren't really expecting to invest heavily in Brees Hall for the early part of the season. If you're investing in Brees Hall, it's really because of what he can do for you later. Now, early in the season, he projects to have about a 15% performance hit, and that is the result of a great deal of machine learning on data related to his athleticism, his pre-injury production, his draft stock, the Jetso line, all of that together factors into those projections. And again, a 15% performance hit for, from a guy who is at baseline and probably RB1, but then you have to also factor in that young running backs usually take three to four games to ramp up their touches. And that's very similar to what we just talked about with Travis Etienne, but with Brees Hall, signing Dalvin Cook only strengthens the likelihood that that progressive ramp up is going to be the Jets plan. So we don't think that he's not going to be ready. We still do have him rated as a two thirds chance to play week one, but we just wouldn't expect to see the full workload right away. And then as the season goes on for Brees, we are expecting him to be up to even 95% of where he was last year by the latter one third of the year. And then we have his quarterback. Now, Aaron Rodgers, not currently injured, but we want to look at last year. He went from MVP, MVP to 26th ranked QBR. And people are asking the question, is Aaron Rodgers wash? I would say definitely not. If you look at the last year for Aaron Rodgers, he had a pretty severe thumb injury and he played through it. Some quarterbacks would have opted for surgery and would have sat out at that point but he played through it despite the fact that it affects his ability to really grip that ball. How are you going to throw it deep if you can't grip it strongly? So Aaron Rodgers last year was largely affected by that injury. And then partway through, as he was sort of on the mend, he then had an oblique injury and that affects his ability to throw deep balls and bullet passes. So the combination really makes it so that we don't put much stock into how Aaron Rodgers performed last year. We think a focused, healthy Aaron Rodgers this year is likely back to the form he was two years ago when he was, in fact, the MVP. And then we have Jonathan Taylor. Now, he's been in and out of the news. He's back in the news, now seeking a trade. Just empiric evidence tells us Austin Eckler did not get successfully find a trade. And the Colts are saying they want a first-round pick or equivalent, probably two seconds. How are you going to get a team to pay a running back and to give you that compensation? I feel it's personally a little unlikely, though I'm not the world expert on that. Where I would say we, we can gain some insight from this whole situation is that it very likely confirms that his uh, pup designation was indeed kind of fake news. And that in that he, if he was not going to pass his physical now and he was not going to be able to play, he was still having ankle pain, all these sorts of things, then they probably wouldn't be shopping him at a lower value than what he's worth. And uh, the, the other part of it is that all it really takes for an athlete to fail the physical, which is what happened with Jonathan Taylor that landed him on the pup, is for him to report ankle pain. So he can say that I had an operation here, I, had ankle pain, I have ankle pain, partly maybe because he doesn't want to 
expose himself to training camp and practice and injury risk as he's trying to negotiate a deal. But that alone would land him in the failed physical list and potentially on the pup as it did with Jonathan Taylor. Now seeking this trade and this whole public feud makes that possibility increasingly, increasingly likely. And then we have Devon A-Chain in Miami. We don't really know what his role was going to be. Deep backfield, of course, with Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson in front of him. And Devon A-Chain had, by mechanism, what very likely is an AC joint sprain. Mike McDaniel called him week to week. The most common situation here is for him to be returning by week one without any sort of performance hit. There are two possibilities on what this injury underlying diagnosis could be. One is the AC joint sprain. That has a relatively low re-injury risk and we wouldn't really expect it to impact him the rest of the year. The, the one that's a little more concerning is that a potential partial dislocation of his shoulder. And when that happens, you get tearing of the stabilizing structures in the shoulder called the labrum. And that in turn makes the shoulder a little less stable than it was before all of that injury cascade occurred. So in, in that case, then we would have a little bit of an elevated re-injury risk for Devon A-Chain as the season goes on. But again, either way, the most likely outcome here is that he returns for week one at about 100%. And then one guy who is in some ways a post-injury sleeper, or at least a value, that is Darren Waller. A lot of people have been asking about him. He does have a concerning history. I'll be honest about that, although I hate to say it. His prior injuries have very likely fully resolved. We don't expect any lingering impact there. But this is a guy who's had two season-ending hamstring injuries, and he's had, in addition, in 2021, mostly an IT band issue, a soft tissue injury, that hampered his production and his season there, too. These don't tend to just get better after age 30. In fact, it's usually the opposite. So we do think Darren Waller will start the season very strong we would consider in season-long formats, maybe trying to trade him after a few strong starts because he, he is going to be at least a moderately increased injury risk for the rest of the season. And then again, your questions about Tony Pollard are very valid. The ankle fracture looked pretty bad when it happened, and it is a real surgery and a real injury. But again, we don't worry too much about this one. Running back data after these ankle fractures tends to show them right back at their pre-injury performance level. So overall, we're pretty optimistic on Pollard himself. And that is all we have for today. A jam-packed, very fun episode. Remember to hit us up, Sport MD Analysis. Subscribe, hit the like, do all the stuff. And we will catch you next time.